0: Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you, as always, by ZipRecruiter. You know it's not smart? Doubting the Golden State Warriors right now. That's not smart. I think they're fine. I think they got over this little hiccup, but we'll talk about it in one second after the break. You know what else isn't smart? Job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes. Luckily, there's a smart way at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. They find people with the right skills for your job. They actively invite them to apply. You qualify candidates fast. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, SeatGeek is the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more. For $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game or sporting event, use promo code BS. That includes Thanksgiving games on Thursday. Who knows? That includes college football. That includes basketball. What else? What hockey? I don't know what else I can offer you. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. We're also brought to you by the Ringer.com, the world's best website, as well as the Ringer Podcast Network, which just launched Shay Slamano's new podcast. It's called Villains. It's eight episodes. Episode one is up about Hannibal Lecter. You've heard Shay in this podcast a cajillion times, and now we have his own podcast for him. So there you go for that. Don't forget to check out all the awesome podcasts we have on the Ringer Podcast Network. Coming up, Conor O'Brien, and I'm gonna do some football picks as well. First, Pearl Jam. All right, we have Conan O'Brien coming up in a little bit. It is an interview we taped two days ago. It's really good. I really enjoyed it. I had a good time. I think you will too. I think it's one of the uh, one of the best long form interviews we've done this year, but I guess you'll be the judge. I wanna talk about a couple of things. One is this Warriors thing, just very quickly. I was fascinated by this story the last two days. Sometimes you see with the internet, with the 24 seven talk cycle and with podcasts and everything, Everyone's trying to get their traffic, their points. This just had a lot of meat on the bone. This went a lot of different directions. And we talked about it with Chris Ryan on the last podcast. And right after we finished, we found out that Dre might have gotten suspended without pay for a day. And I had to redo the little intro about it. Look at the little science fiction I pulled on you guys. You didn't even realize that I taped the intro after. But I have been monitoring this story for the last two days everybody has been basically writing the same take while pretending they have no information on it. I don't think there is new information. I think, um, I think it's pretty clear what happened. These guys have just been playing together for a few years. Basketball players get mad at each other, but the one underlying thing that made this one different was the resentment of Katie's whole situation kind of spilled over and spilled out. And, you know, it is funny. I, I, this is, Draymond does feel like this is his team. And I think he felt disrespected because KD was mad that uh, that uh, he didn't get past the ball at the end, he didn't like the way he was talked to and it just kind of escalated. They started yelling at each other. I was most surprised that they suspended him without pay because that told me that what we're hearing, what's coming out about what he apparently said in the huddle, was actually probably a little bit worse and cut a little bit deeper than that in that some line was crossed. And you could kind of see it from KD's body language in the clips, which ESPN ran for three straight days, and I tried to watch most of the replays over and over again. But something happened in the verbal diarrhea that was going back and forth that some line was crossed. And I don't think it was him calling KD a bitch, and I don't think it was him saying... um, whatever he said about free agency and all that. I think it was more personal than that. And I think that's what caused the suspension and whatever. It's heat of the moment. People say things they regret. But um, it would be really, really interesting if the one thing that could prevent this Warriors team from being a a three-in-a-row tramp, three and four years, four in a row, five in a row, whatever, is just, you know, all these outside forces imploding the team a little bit because we've seen this happen really every time we've had a chance to see this happen you know you go back to the 70s Bill Walton gets hurt Portland should have won I would say six or seven titles if Bill Walton stays healthy now his feet weren't meant to stay healthy that was part of the reason they only won one title but um, but the way that that the way that just kind of unraveled and he ended up suing the team and then he left and it just ended in the worst play possible but injuries were a big part of that then you go to the 80s the Celtics and the Lakers are just basically splitting up all the titles they all they both had their kind of mini dynasties neither of them was like an official dynasty it was it was like a die tender nasty I forget what the word I call what I call that was die tender nasty contender cross of the dynasty but I think if Len Bias had had lived and had been at least as good as James Worthy or whatever. I think maybe the Celtics win five or six and maybe the Lakers win four. Who knows? They were splitting all the titles up during that stretch. The one team that had a chance to beat them was the Rockets and the Rockets got sidetracked by cocaine and a whole bunch of other things. So the 80s are out. The 90s, MJ and those guys won six. Probably could have been more. And I wrote about this back in February about, you know, MJ retired because he didn't have a team. They won three, he left, he came back, they won three more. And the owner, Jerry Reinsdorf and the GM, Jerry Krause were very interested in moving on from that team and Jordan and Phil Jackson and Scottie Pippen and everybody. And they kind of imploded it and they blew it up. They didn't take care of Scottie Pippen. That one didn't end for the right reasons, I don't feel like. And I feel the same way about the Shaq and Kobe in the 2000s where you saw... um, They won three titles and the over-under was probably five and a half. It completely imploded. That was the all-time implosion. And I think there's been a lot of revisionist history over the years about why that imploded. But it imploded for a specific reason. Shaq and Kobe hated each other and everybody hated playing with Kobe and coaching Kobe. And it unraveled. And if you don't believe me, go buy the last season, which was Phil Jackson's book about that whole season. And there are literally dozens of anecdotes about how bad that season was for everybody involved. Shaq wasn't guilt free either. It just was time for that team to break up, but it was a shame and it definitely uh, did not last as long as it, as it should have. Shaq only was there. He showed up in 96, he left in 04. So that wasn't great. Then you go, the next chance we had really was the heat in, uh, in 2011 They ended up staying together four years. And I think that fell apart less because of, you know, people turning on each other and all that stuff. Really, like Dwayne Wade just got old a little faster than I think um, than we expected. You know, he he just was not a, a top 10 player anymore. And I think LeBron sensed it. And I will always believe he went back to Cleveland because it was a better basketball situation. I wrote that at the time. Nobody will ever dissuade me otherwise. The team that he had... In the finals, was basically just him and Chris Bosh and two-thirds of Dwayne Wade and nobody else. And he knew that wasn't going to be good enough with the way the league was changing. So he left and he went to Cleveland and he tried to build a new contender there. But, um, you know, that had less to do with egos and more of just circumstance and time and the guys catching each other maybe a year or two too late. This Warriors thing, um, I really believe that Durant thought it was going to be different after he won the first title. That he was going to win, all the OKC stuff was going to go away, and people were never going to mention it again. They were never going to mention that he chased the title, any of that stuff. And and just accept it for what it was, that he changed teams, he made the right move, and he won the title. And when that didn't happen, I think he really took it personally. And you could hear it on some of the podcasts we did together. And you could you could watch it and see it in some of the things he said. During uh, during the playoffs, after the playoffs, like, you know, definitely had a, a chip on his shoulder about it. And I think what he realized was that he, even though he's winning in Gold State, he can't win because he can win five in a row and people are still going to say he chased the title. Now, whether he can eventually shrug that off and learn how to deal with it and just learn to accept the fact that this is the best basketball situation he's ever going to be in he should stay. He should at least follow it to San Francisco next year. But I think that's part of it. I think the other part was after they won that first title. And if you watch the ring ceremony the next year, because it had clearly become Durant's team as a basketball team and Golden State spent a lot of the next two years rebuilding that as Curry's team as well. And even like when they did handed out the rings, Curry got his ring last and it really felt like Curry's team. And I think from that moment on, Durant, you know, kind of realized, oh, this is always going to be Curry's team. And by the way, it is. If you go to the games, Curry is the most popular guy on the team. He's the most beloved player on the team. He might be the most beloved player in the league other than LeBron. And if Durant leaves, I think it will be because he will always wonder what it would have been like to have his own team. That would be my armchair analysis from not having talked to him in person now for six, seven months. But um, it was him and Westbrook. And now he's on Curry's team with Draymond and all those guys. And if he leaves, it'll be because he wants his own team. It was the same reason Kyrie left Cleveland. He wanted his own thing. He wanted to go to his team and have the ownership of that team and be the guy in that team. Now, I think the Clippers are more realistic than the Knicks if he leaves, but we'll see. But um, the cool thing about this story for if you're a Warriors fan and if you love NBA history is I actually think history would say that this is actually going to bring them closer. The more I look at this, the more I think about this. I watched Draymond's little thing, his two minutes soliloquy that he gave at practice today. And it does feel like um, this could end up being healthy. I still don't know what Draymond said and maybe it'll come out five months from now, but he might've crossed the line. Steve Kerr was there. Um, if he said something super personal, you can make believe it's good, you can whatever, but sometimes you don't come back from that. So that that would be my question is how far did he go with whatever he said? I guess we'll we'll find out someday. Maybe when Phil Jackson writes a book about that season. Hey, let's do football picks really quick. I went one and one last week. I'm four and two since we brought back the picks and rebooted them. I am up $1.8 million. I'm up $1.8 million, Kyle. That's incredible. Betting a million a game. Can you believe that? It's just incredible. How am I going to spend all this money? I'm so proud. So three games. I like two straight up games and a teaser. First one, Saints are eight and a half against Philly in New Orleans. All due respect to this Philly team. They won the Super Bowl. This happens. It's not you're not the first team this happened to. You won't be the last. The dreaded year after. Ronald Darby going down, I thought was the death knell for this team. They are now at the pa- at the point of no return with injuries, um, with the hole that they've dug for themselves. I just don't see it. I think they're it's a mediocre talent team at this point. Uh, for all the teams trying to make the playoffs. If you're just comparing them to the top 18 or whatever, they are not one of the top 10. And I think this is going to get worse, not better for them. And I also, as you've heard me saying this for a couple of weeks now, I think the Saints are just great. They they would be my number one pick right now to, um, to win the Super Bowl. That could change in two weeks, but they're only given eight and a half at home. It's really starting to feel like Drew Brees' year. I would like to tease them with Pittsburgh, who we talked about this game with Cousin Sal on Sunday night. Pittsburgh laying six in Jacksonville. Feels like a trap game to some degree, right? Pittsburgh looked awesome in their last game, which was Thursday night. Jacksonville looked terrible. You never want to have the team that looked awesome going against the team that looked terrible. I think the problem is something's broken in Jacksonville. They uh, Their defense just isn't good anymore. I don't know what happened, Um, the way it's been explained to me from third parties is that when you have a defense that's overachieving like that and doing great and kicking ass and they come so close to making the Super Bowl and they fall short, it's really hard to get that edge back. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, um, maybe they just overachieved last year and now they're, they are what they are. I think they lost faith in Bortles, um, I don't think they really have any chance of winning that division anymore. They're 3-6. and They would need a lot of things to go right. And they would probably need 9-7 and could be the best possible record for them to win the division. I don't see it. But more importantly, this is a revenge game for Pittsburgh because Jacksonville has kind of handled their business the last couple years. I think this Pittsburgh's team the last five weeks has been excellent. I think this Le'Veon Bell thing pissed them off. I think weirdly they rallied around it. I like the way Roethlisberger's playing. I like the way they can move the ball. And I thought about just betting this straight up minus six, but the safe bet is to, par- is to tease them with the Saints. You bring the Steelers down to even. You bring the Saints down to two and a half. I'm putting a million dollars on this. One million dollars. So that's my first one. Second one, Chicago. Is laying two and a half at home against the Minnesota Vikings. There are a few things I like about this one. One is that Trubisky has actually played Kyle. You might have to edit this out if he sucks this weekend. All right. Trubisky's been pretty good. They've kind of figured out how to get by with him. Yeah. All right. Uh, Tariq Cohen. I think he's due for a breakout game. In general, I just feel like the Bears are due for a kick-ass game. I like their D, Khalil Max, healthy again. That Vikes offensive line is awful. Adam Thielen is juggling two different injuries right now. I know this because he's on both of my fantasy teams. And I went to one of the websites and just red flags all over the place. Red flags were like coming out of my computer and assaulting me. And they're like, he might play, could play. If you watch the Vikings, you know he is the key player on that team. Even if the Vikes keep it close, and even if there's a chance for them to win late, in Chicago, outdoors, great defense, or I should say a very good defense. We don't know if they're great yet. Has all the makings of the the Vikings driving down for the game-tying field goal and Kirk Cousins gets strip sacked because that's what he does. He gets strip sacked. I love getting the extra half point. I can't believe this line's three. I'm just delighted by this. Bears by two and a half at home. There's one other interesting thing here. Sal and I talked. I was like, we should have followed what the record of the teams that are about to play on Thanksgiving Day is um, the week before. Somebody at the Action Network was kind enough to actually run this data. Since 2015, teams went an impressive 14 and four straight up and 15, two and one against the spread on the weekend before they suited up on Turkey Day. So that's a three year sample size. That's pretty good. Uh, The 12 years before that, not as good. 42 and 22 straight up, only 27, 33 and four against the spread. I bring this up because I was alarmed by the fact that this is a Sunday night game in Chicago. And then the Bears play on Thursday at 1230 in Detroit on Thanksgiving. The NFL is the worst. You Seriously, Goodell, whoever works for you, if you're listening to right now, you guys are the fucking worst. You're awful. You're the worst. How do you do this? Why do we have bye weeks? We have bye weeks so that you can set up a situation where the Bears are going to play Sunday night and then play on Thursday at 1230. Fucking ridiculous. You're really the worst. You are the worst. You do not care about your players. You don't. Why do you pretend you care? Why have the blue tent? Why have the concussion spotters? You don't fucking care. You don't. Stop it. Anyway, I still like the Bears despite all of that. And the NFL is the worst. Don't ever forget this. The blood is on all of our hands. This is the worst fucking league. How do they allow this? Anyway, go Bears, minus two and a half. I have a million dollars on that one. Here's the third one. So they moved that Chiefs-Rams game to Los Angeles on Monday night because apparently the Mexico City field was unplayable, and uninhabitable. What? Really? Something bad was with the field. Huh. Could not imagine. You're surprised to hear this I'm stuff. So you surprised. <laughs> you know that it's bad when the NFL says to itself, "says to itself, wow, this might actually be bad for the players." The same league that has somebody playing on a Sunday night and then it's 80 hours later, um, so they move this to LA. You would think this would be great for the Rams. Wow, I think there's gonna be a lot of Chiefs fans there. We saw in the Chargers game, there was 25,000 Chiefs fans, it seemed like, out of the 30,000 people. You, uh, you basically have the Coliseum at night. Feels like a track meet. I don't love the way the Rams are playing. I think their offense is lights out. I think they can score against anybody. You can run on them. You can move the ball wherever. They can't close big leads. So even if they're up 10 you know, with four minutes left. Um, they could still get, give up the garbage time touchdown. You know, Lombardi pointed this out on GM street this week. They, they run it up on offense because they don't trust their defense. So they'll be up. 38 to 27 with six minutes left in the fourth quarter. And they're trying to score a touchdown. They're acting like it's second quarter because they don't want the other team to get the ball back down 11 because they know they can't stop them. I was stunned by how, uh, Seattle was able to run the ball down their throats. And, uh, and I just don't think they're, they're good enough defensively right now. So that extra half point weirdly becomes important. I think the chiefs can win this outright. I'm not sure if they will, but I think they can. The Cooper Cup thing is interesting. Josh Reynolds is the backup. He comes in because the, the Rams, they basically, they play this, they play the Madden offense. They play the one running back with the three receivers and the tight end, and they don't really mix it up from that, from that formation, but, you know, when you play Madden and they have the hundred different variations off the one formation, that's basically what they do. I like Josh Reynolds. I actually picked him up in fantasy a couple of weeks ago because I felt like... He had a chance, you know, if one of those three guys got hurt, he had a chance to just go in and get the job done. So I I don't know if they're going to miss Cooper Cup as much as it feels like because I do like Reynolds. Um, But, you know, they only have the three receivers. If this turns into a track meet, they might wear down in the fourth quarter. Who knows? I don't know what to expect, but I do expect the close game. I do think the Chiefs are good. I do think either team could win this game. And, you know, there's one other thing that's at stake here. Just mark, mark this down. MVP odds right now. Mahomes is even. Drew Brees is plus 175. If the Chiefs lose this game, I think, and, and the Saints beat, uh, they win their game against the Eagles convincingly, or they just win it. I think Brees becomes the favorite. So I kind of recommend the Breeze plus 175 unless you think the Chiefs can win this game because if the Chiefs lose this game, I think Breeze becomes the MVP favorite. So mark that one down for you. In the meantime, I'm betting a million dollars on the Kansas City Chiefs plus three and a half in LA, which gives me these three picks. Bears minus two and a half. Chiefs plus three and a half. And New Orleans, minus eight and a half, teased six-point tease with Pittsburgh minus six and the NFL being the fucking worst. You guys are terrible. I can't believe you did this to the Bears. You should be ashamed of yourself. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. Coming up, Conan O'Brien. Let's face it, guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Studies show that 70% of guys who experience erectile dysfunction don't get treated for it. That's bad. The thing most people don't realize is that ED is like a check engine light for a man's body. It could be an indicator that there's something more serious going on, like a heart issue or diabetes. Thankfully, our sponsor, Roman, has created an easy, discreet way to get checked out by a doctor and get treated for ED online. It's a one-stop shop. Licensed U.S. physicians can diagnose your ED, then ship meds right from their pharmacy to your door. With Roman, you don't have to wait in radio rooms, deal with any awkward face-to-face conversations, or make any uncomfortable trips to the pharmacy, just go to getroman.com slash bill, fill out a brief questionnaire, chat with the doctor, get FDA approved medication for real. It's recommended by your doctor. It's all prescribed online. It's delivered straight to your door. Discreet, unmarked packaging. Hey, go talk to the doctor. Erectitis function is a problem that guys don't tackle, but it's really important. And now with Roman, it's easy to take care of. For a free online visit, go to getroman.com slash bill. All right. It's not often we get to welcome somebody into the podcasting ranks. Conan O'Brien, you're doing it. I'm doing it. You have your own podcast. I have my own
1: podcast. I determined, first of all, I may have had some false information. I was told there were very few podcasts out there. Yeah. And um, that I was getting it on the ground floor. (laughs) And uh, so- it's like the, yeah. It's
0: definitely not the grab for, but we I, need you in the podcast. I was world. also
1: told it was a cash cow that it's just going to throw off. A that ton might of, be true for you. I don't think so. <laughs> you, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's a labor of love. Uh, it was something. Um, it's actually had this concept for a little while ago, which is I have, I had a Christmas party, and I realized everyone at this Christmas party, ninety nine percent of them, and this has been true every year. Uh, are people that work for me? I employ them, and I really do like the people I work with, and I'm friendly with them. And I thought, I don't, I got to make some friends. You're in uh, your own work bubble, and yeah, I'm. I got to make some friends, and I I know a lot of people, I know a lot of celebrities, and I like them, but uh, there's never any time. You know, I don't spend much time making friends with them. So this is a quest. I thought, you know, I'll do a podcast and I'll get them in there and just pretty much put them on the spot and say, why did it never happen with us? We, <laughs> we, we get along, we're friendly, uh, what's going on? And it's great, it's funny. I really enjoy it. And they, we end up talking about a lot of funny stuff, but, um, but also some of them are really brutally honest. They're like, no, 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 it's just, there's, uh, it's not gonna happen. You know, um, and also you seem a little tightly wound, Conan. And it's good. I like that part of it. But, the, but in there is uh, mixed a lot of great anecdotes. And I do like interviewing people and I like this format. I like being able to uh, talk and not in six minute
0: increments and then have to throw it a commercial. Do you know what I mean? We, I mean, that format is so frustrating in so many ways because it's, how much how much prep do you do when you have the guest on? Like, do do you know they're going to hit certain stories? Because it seems like the stuff that especially breaks out from your show is when the guest has surprised you and gone on some crazy direction. Yeah,
1: I always, I learned a long time ago, I grew up um, watching Johnny Carson and it dawned on me that the stuff that always made it into the anniversary shows, this is back when, in the olden days, when late night shows would celebrate
0: I fucking love the anniversary shows. The anniversary
1: shows, shows. And, and Carson would wear a tuxedo and his yeah. sidekick, Ed McMahon would wear a tuxedo and they would show these clips. All of the clips were mistakes. Yeah. They were all mistakes. It was never, remember that amazing thing, sketch that we wrote. Greatness, I think in in late night, when anyone achieves it on any late night show is something gone wrong and the host exploiting it. So I like to have a, Probably sort of like a a good quarterback has a plan. Yeah. You have a plan and then you ditch it the minute the holes aren't where they're supposed to be and you go another way. That's what I think a host should do. Is but you, and, like,
0: your favorite guests are always like the Bill Burr, Norm McDonald. Yes. This might go off the rails really uh, fast. I type mean, of yeah. I mean,
1: uh, Norm McDonald, one of the great um, talk show guests of all time, he invented something that why is there a man doing his taxes in the corner in he's, this podcast? He's typing notes in case we have to do oh, it's breakouts. Just, it's incredible. He's, he's uh, you know, it's very loud. He's audibly <laughs> clicking away. And I really did think- you have a guy, excitedly. You have a guy in the corner doing the books on the podcast <laughs> while you're doing the podcast. Um, uh, no, Norm MacDonald invented this amazing thing that I've never seen anybody do before or since. It's kind of like he split the atom. It was that revolutionary. Norm would come on and he would, instead of telling you a real story, like if I had you on the show and you're like, hey, Bill, you know, tell me, well, you know, and remember I was living in Chestnut Hill once and you would tell a real story about yeah. what happened to you in your life. Norm tells old jokes as stories that happened to him. Yeah. So I'd be like, Norm, what are you up to? And I mean, really old jokes from like the 1920s. And he'd be like, well, Conan, I don't know if you're aware that I- uh, I uh, purchased a uh, purchased a farm, Conan. I'd be like, really, you purchased her? A- yeah, 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 I purchased a, a farm, of course. I have uh, of course, I have three daughters. And I'm like, you have three daughters, do- yeah, I have three daughters on the farm, one very attractive, uh, one not as attractive, and of course, the third, not, uh, you know, kind of, well, she's ugly, Conan. she's ugly. And I'd be like, uh-huh. Well, one day uh, this uh, traveling salesman uh, comes to the farm. And he says, now, nah, nah, Norm, I'll tell you. I tell you. And then it's like he's telling an old traveling salesman joke. Yeah. And it's, and, but you know about halfway through where no, it's. No, I, I mean, I usually know, I, I know kind of what he's doing. I'm laughing that he has the balls yeah. to do this. I'm laughing at the audacity. So I don't even care if this joke lands or not. I'm laughing that he's committing to the fact that. You know, no, he doesn't have a farm. He doesn't have three daughters. There's yeah. no traveling salesman. Uh, but he doesn't care in a way that is exhilarating and scary at the same time. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and that's, plus he
0: probably has some people in the audience who are taking completely seriously, right? Yes, yeah, he's got some people thinking, We call them tourists. Yes, we call them, <laughs> <laughs> they're usually from San Bernardino. Uh, <laughs> Well, Norm had Norm had the greatest talk show moment in the history of talk shows with Courtney Thorne-Smith. That was epic. That was so great. And it's funny because- It's lived on. Who knew that we were going to have YouTube eventually you where know we what? could just queue it up bless, on command?
1: God bless YouTube. I had no idea. When those things were happening, I thought, we're talking 1993, 94. When those things were happening, I thought, you know, what did I know? I just thought if you were up- And you saw it, that means you saw it. it. You saw an amazing thing happen. And if you, uh, and then maybe if I get to stay on the air long enough, we'll have a one year anniversary show and maybe you'll see it then. But if you're not there for that, it's gone. And now I meet people, I mean, that around the world that will say, oh, I just saw that thing with you and Norm and Courtney Thorne-Smith. And I'll think that was a moment of my life when I was 30.
0: Yeah. And I'm like 85 now. <laughs> like, how is that possible? You had, the funny thing about those first few years is all, it was such a great time for music. Yeah. And you and Arsenio- just had this murderer's row of-, of I love any sentence that starts with you, I know, you and, and Arsenio. Well, <laughs> you Arsenio know? was having all the hip hop bands and yeah. all the rappers from that were really that first wave. And then you you were tapping into this whole alternative scene that was like taken off. It
1: was so fun because- Some of that ev- stuff's
0: online stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, the tricky thing about that
1: stuff is music is the hardest thing Um We're be buried at the end of the show. Well, no, but also it's hard to clear in perpetuity for legal reasons. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Any guests that came on my show, we can show that for the rest of time. If a band comes on and plays a song, you can't clear it in perpetuity on the internet for legal reasons. So I'm really jazzed because uh, we're doing, in January, we're going to come out with what I think will be the -the state-of-the-art website of all my stuff going back all through the NBC years, um, starting in 93. With the music? Not the music, the music we can't do, but all of the comedy bits, the interviews, and we're digitizing it. So it's going to look amazing. And then you can, if you thought you saw something happen on my show in 1997, but you think maybe I was high, maybe that didn't happen. Yeah. Maybe Abe Vigoda... (laughs) <laughs> maybe Ava Goda got shot or maybe he didn't. Right. I don't remember. It was late in the show. And then there was some bumblebees. I don't remember. You can type it in and you will see that moment. That I'm really thrilled about. But the music, I mean, my first show was, uh, with music was September 14th, 93. And they said, who do you want? And I said, Radiohead. And this was in 93. Yeah, that was a ballsy call And at I that said, point. Radiohead. I want Radiohead to do Creep. Bang, Radiohead did Creep on the show. And remember from that moment on, we could have, it was just amazing. We could have anybody we wanted. I love music. And suddenly it was a pretty incredible feeling to get to see all these people. And some of them were, I mean, uh, Gwen Stefani uh, came on with No Doubt when that first record came out. I mean, all these sort of iconic albums. Yeah. And they would come on and I look at those clips now and then I come over, I look like a 14-year-old Belgian girl. I'm always like coming over like, hey, thanks a lot for coming on the show. (laughs) Well, we're gonna take a
0: break, we'll be right back.
1: And they're always looking like, well, you're not gonna last. Uh, But it was fun,
0: it was a blast. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously I've been watching talk shows since I was a kid. Like you, we're around the same age, like the Mike Douglas shows and Carson and- all the different incarnations. And then when Letterman showed up, um, you know, and he would do his anniversary show, but he was making fun of Carson's anniversary show, but like Carson never realized it. Yep. The whole show was set up to make fun of the Carson show, but he idolized Carson. Yes. Somehow threw Carson off the scent of, I'm actually making fun of this format. I think Carson, I'm going to say, I
1: mean, Johnny was really aware and very smart. I think it's possible Johnny knew, but Johnny was so secure.
0: He oh, it was it's been the, in the early. He days, was the, definitely
1: yeah. Um, well, also, I mean, but I think also with um, because that was his show. You know, right. it, was, uh, it was a Carson production, and 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 uh, he knew that that Dave revered him. So, I think Johnny would. Would have been fine with him making fun of the form a little bit, and he so revolutionized it. Dave, were you
0: were you, were you a giant Letterman guy? Oh yeah, at that time. Because uh, I well, remember when Carson came, when Letterman came to LA, and Carson came on the show. That was like one of the biggest moments of my life. Yeah, I was like, this is this is vindication. Carson's coming on. Yeah, that shouldn't be one of the biggest moments of your life. Well, I mean, I mean when I was a teenager, I'm still.
1: <laughs> there were a lot of girls. What? Okay, that's you're saying too much now. You should keep this. I'm oversharing. Yeah, yeah, just
0: make it. It was a really fun moment for me.
1: It was, just rewrite
0: that. I, I remember being uh, marginally excited about good, it. Good, there you go. Yeah. Very good. Um, yeah, I was like, this is kind of cool. Uh, yes,
1: I was uh, I was really influenced by, I, I was very inspired by Dave because that, it was such a revolution at the time. You hadn't seen someone be funny that way. Yeah. And- um. You know his tone was so original and spot on. I remembered watching the the morning show. my sister I was leaving for school. I was in high school, and i had uh i was I was late to go to school, and I was going out the front door, and it was like the spring or something. And I remembered my sister Kate shouting, "Get back here, you gotta see this." And so mm. I went back in the house thinking this better. be like, what is she talking about?" And she was watching his morning show, and we I just I wrote an article about it for, I think it was Entertainment Weekly when when Dave uh, retired that I called Suddenly Everything Was Wrong um, because everything f- was wrong. He didn't look like a host. Yeah. Uh, the set was wrong. It, it was not polished. The energy was wrong. And it was great. You know, it's the, the true revolutionary comedy should look wrong when you first see it. Yeah. In, in, in anything or, or art, it should look wrong. I think that's how... Um, and and so the next couple of years, um, I I watched him through college and then uh, desperately
0: wanted to work for him. I did mean, you ever that, write into viewer mail? I didn't write into viewer mail. Did you? I did. I was I'm I was in high school and I really wanted to make it. But it might even been like eighth, ninth grade initially, but never made it. Yeah. Always was waiting on those Thursday nights. Could still happen on his new Netflix
1: show. Is he
0: too for your mail on the Netflix? No, show? If he does, said, I'm I'm gonna I I may- it'd be I'm hilarious.
1: May- if he did, <laughs> if, he did he, if he went back to stuff from '83 on the on the and was doing it while Obama's
0: sitting out there, that'd be hilarious. What you were saying earlier about how stuff would be on and then just disappear—that was what the I used to tape the Letterman shows on the on VHS, but if you missed one or if the tape didn't work, that was it. It was just gone. There's no record of it, and now there's record of everything. You know, yeah. every moment somebody has, there's videotape of it.
1: Yeah, I uh, there was. I mean, we sound like oh, what we, we are. sound we're like just, really, old we then. sound like old guys. Yeah, uh, we're we have a little sterno going. We're cooking some beans. <laughs> <laughs> we're in the woods talking about those olden times. We're, we're both uh, Bill and I are whittling right now. Yeah, well, I tell you, there was a time when on television, but it was very, it's very hard to explain to. You know, my assistant, Sona, who came with me today, she she doesn't own a TV. You know, yeah. she watches everything online and and everything's immediately accessible. And I've had this, you know, I can pull out my phone and access any moment in TV history. Right. I remember the first time I went to the Museum of Broadcasting in New York. I was I don't know like twenty five I think I was a writer on Star Night Live and I heard about the Museum of Broadcasting and I went over there and I, I requested there was like an old woman there and I said I would like to see Jerry Lewis's monologue from his first late night show that's in was this epic disaster in uh, from you know September uh, you know fourteenth. Uh, 1962. And she was like, You wait here. And then she <laughs> went away. And then she came back a long time later. And it was like Hogwarts. You know, there's a yeah. there's an owl, and magicians are there. And she hands it to me. And I put it into a machine. And I put on the headset. And I watch literally what eight years later. Yeah. Just type in. You know, you can be anywhere in the world. It's Just type in. probably online right now. Oh, no. Jerry Lewis it. had a late night show. He had a late night show that was, um, a huge thing at the time, it was, uh, he was the biggest star and yeah. they paid him a fortune to do a late night show because he had guested on Carson, I think, and just destroyed, he'd done really well. So they gave him his own show and it was once a week and it was something crazy like two hours long, a two hour long oh, no. show. And apparently the legend is, I've read a lot about this, that Jerry did no preparation. They built a massive studio for him. They did incredible amount of, he had a desk that you could direct the show from. (laughs) Everybody turned out for it. All these celebrities were in the crowd. It was huge. He had a giant like 35 piece orchestra. Ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Lewis. And he comes out and you can tell within 30 seconds, he's got nothing and all of America tuned in, because this was supposed to be a big thing. And Jerry starts saying, well, it's good to be here. And you know, uh, okay, the show's gonna be two hours long. And you know, some people wonder, how do you fill a two hour show? Well, we, we will, we'll figure it out. I mean, and then he's talking about almost instantly about how, and I'm sick of people thinking maybe we can't pull this off. Cause I think we can. You're like, not one, not one <laughs> joke, nothing. And then you can see he's kind of sweating. Oh, and then no.
0: you're like, oh my God. This guy oh. hosted a telethon every year for like 100 yeah. you know a hundred years. Yeah, and it was, two hour show? it was
1: a, a huge, um, it was one of those shows where like after the first episode, it was just, you know, everybody was talking about what the hell happened. You, you um, weren't meant to do this. And I had heard about it and I just wanted to
0: go see it, but yeah. It was, uh, I remember when I moved out here, went to the one in LA, the Museum of Broadcasting. It was the same thing. It was like, Can I call up the Mike Douglas show? What was the famous fight with uh Richard Pryor and Milton Burrow? Oh, and you tell when uh they started getting into it now, it's on YouTube, you can just watch it. But right. I, I really want to see that because I'd always heard about it. And you put in the little request, and they you know, there's these it. great things. I think there was one
1: where Muhammad Ali and Sly Stone are together on uh, I Which think it's on just, Mike Douglas. And, Sly Stone is kind of high and being goofy and Muhammad Ali is pissed. (laughs) Muhammad Ali is trying to make real points about, you know, equality and the dignity of, you know, uh, African-American race and Sly just keeps being goofy and Muhammad Ali is just really, I mean, it's, it's fun to see, things are so sanitized now. It's fun to see real anger. And
0: rage yeah. on TV. I remember the first year when we were doing Kimmel's show, the Mike Douglas show was a big influence on, you wanted like the kind of the chaos that could happen when you're just right. putting different people on the couch. Right. And it can happen sometimes, but then there are other times where not only does it not happen, it's just really awkward. And there's a reason. What you learn when you do late shows is there's a reason idea oh we should do and there's a reason nobody's doing that idea right because people have tried it and the variations of it just you it's know it's one of the
1: things that uh i always feel like people can learn the wrong lessons from a success sometimes uh that happens a lot um i was always a fan of surrealism in comedy and yeah, um, you know, uh, is this real? Is this not real? What's going on? Adding a
0: little bit of that sort of SCTV, uh, the fugitive guy was one of my favorites for that.
1: Yeah, it's like, what is this? Yeah, exactly. And 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 adding that element, but when you add surrealism, sometimes the people who are fans of that think, I get it. It should just be weird all the time. You think, well, no. There's good weird. Yeah. And then there's unproductive, bad weird that goes nowhere. But, um, you know, sometimes you see people take that school of comedy and say, oh, I get it. You know, they'll learn the wrong lesson from early Letterman, or they'll, they'll, I've had people that like, you know, liked my stuff that I was doing, you know, and, and then they said, yeah, I get it. You know, it should there just doesn't have to be a joke. It can just be weird. And I'll think,
0: no, no you learn the wrong lesson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think there's still something to something just being really funny, which I think we forget sometimes. Like, I, you know, obviously I know you have a long history with Smigel. Yep. Triumph still makes me laugh. Yeah, And he's course, been doing yeah. it now for, what, almost 25 years? No, well, 20 years? Now,
1: let's see. The show, my late night show started 25 years ago. And I want to say Triumph doesn't, enter the picture till maybe six or seven years in. but So mid, late yeah, 90s? So he's yeah.
0: 20 years of Triumph. How is yeah. that dog still alive? Well, it's made of rubber. so <laughs> It's got a uh, hand ass.
1: You know, it's one of the reasons when people always ask me, how is the Simpsons still on? And I'm like, it's simple. They, the characters yeah, they can't age, you know? Yeah. Uh, triumph, will as long as you occasionally lubricate the puppet. Uh, did you overlap with
0: Farley? You at, did, at, right? At SNL?
1: Yeah. At SNL I
0: did, yeah. Cause they always said he was one of those, like in a room was just funny all the time. Well, he and you was, just couldn't get enough of it.
1: Farley was exactly what you would think you would want him to be. Meaning yeah. you meet some people in comedy who um uh you think they're going to be their persona and then you meet them and they're very serious and kind of shy and you're a little disappointed. Right. And then you meet other people occasionally that completely fulfill your fantasy of who they would be. Yeah, And Chris Farley was like that. John Candy was like that. They were exactly who you wanted them to be. And the first time I met Farley, I was a writer on Saturday Night Live and he came in, he was waiting to have his interview with Lorne. And so he wasn't even on the cast yet. He was just waiting to have his interview. And Lorne famously keeps people waiting. Yeah. So Farley was there, I'm not kidding. I think for two days, <laughs> oh, there's no. an office on the ninth floor that Lauren has right above the studio. Yeah. And so the second half of the week when you're working on sketches and stuff, it's, it's you know, Lauren is uh, Lauren is there and he's in his office with the door shut and he's t- he's on the phone talking to Mick Jagger or talking to Paul Simon or, t- you know, Lauren's talking to those people and whoever's has to wait for him just has to wait. Yeah. And so Farley was just waiting. And I remembered saying, uh, feeling kind of bad for him. And I said, um, I think I had met him before through Odenkirk at Second City. So I said, hey, Chris, I'll show you around. And Chris was like, oh, oh, okay, good. You know, he's, he's doing that guy. Yeah, oh yeah, you know, super, super humble, Midwestern guy and bowing a lot and giggling and he. <laughs> and then I took him <laughs> out and I started doing a fake tour uh, just through the studio. And I was like, see those cables over there? We call those cables, you know? And they're held by that cable guy right there. There's old Joe. I mean, I was n- giving people the wrong name. Yeah. See that guy carrying that board? Well, you'll learn more about, and and Farley was cackling and we were just fucking around. And he got on the show, obviously he was hired instantly once he finally got in to see Lauren. And then uh, I think the Chippendales thing that yeah. I think Downey wrote for him, once he did that, which was pretty early. It was it took it was off over. from there. Yeah. Were
0: you what was your first year at SNL?
1: Eighty I started at the very beginning. I got hired in late eighty seven. So it was right at the beginning of So it's right when the show was really coming back. I timed that one. I mean, luck I mean, I'm 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 not saying I timed it, I'm making a joke. I really got lucky. I showed up at SNL. I remembered at the time You came from not necessarily the news. Came from not necessarily the news. Good And show. then and then uh I had a rule, my writing partner, Greg Daniels, who's gone on to create- Yeah, like, what's, he hasn't uh, really done much. So. Yeah, exactly. Poor guy. Um, I'm gonna pass the hat for him later. Uh, um, yeah, he drives uh, two Bugattis that are tied together <laughs> with electrical tape. Uh, you've never met a more frugal guy who's, you, you've, you, you'd have no idea. But he, um, I used to have a rule with him when we were writing partners. I was like, we will not take- any sit we will not write for a sitcom. Yeah. I was very strict. And you I had high had, standards. I had I did. I had high standards and I would I've literally said, we will starve before we will do this, 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 or this. We're not gonna, you know. And then I had this rule, which is was pretty at the time. If you think about it, now there's so many funny shows. There's a million funny different kinds of so shows. It was that the case 25 years ago? No. And I had, I just said, um, I said, uh, we can work on not necessarily the news because that's a good place for us to get started. After that, our first choice is Letterman. And our second choice is Saturday Night Live. And Greg was like, okay, what else? And I went, that's it. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> this is a story that people would probably hate, but we got a gig at Saturday Night Live. I went out, there. it was not my first choice. I remember thinking, well,
0: that's kind of past its prime. So SNL had now it had, Eddie, was, Eddie had left. Then they, they had that, that weird transition year. Had that, that weird transition year. And then it had a year. Then he blows up the cast and gets yes. to Phil Hartman, Dana Carvey yes. cast. Yes, and then I come in,
1: I step into that just as it's starting to pick up steam. And you it's, have two and of the
0: greatest cast members in the history of the show. Well, Phil Plus, Hartman,
1: Phil Hartman, best utility player in the history of comedy. He, he can, has
0: to be on the all-time cast.
1: Yeah, he has to be because- if seven, nine, whatever, he still has to be in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, just him and Pete Davidson. Uh, <laughs> I just threw that out there. I don't know the guy. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, Phil Hartman, when you think about it, Phil Hartman could play convincingly a father who's meeting his daughter's date for the first time. Right. A square father. He could play a convict. He could play a juvenile delinquent. Game I show mean, host. Game show host. He could be. He could be Frankenstein. Could be a
0: nineteen twenties actor. He can be anything. And
1: uh, we used Unfrazen to call him- Unfrozen caveman. He used to call himself Mr. Potato Head because you could just take the pieces off and put in new pieces. In. Yeah. Um, yeah. Him. Dana Carvey. On Fire. John Lovitz. Um, and then you know I got to give it up for. And then the women. The women were, the women really were good. absolutely amazing, and they were communities like Jan Hooks. One of the best, uh, I think, cast members of all time, uh, Nora Dunn, I mean, just the fact that that these, and, and then while I'm there, the people that showed up while I was there, Farley shows up while I'm there. Mike Myers. Mike Myers shows up. I remember the first day he came in and he had a, a leather jacket with the Canadian flag on the back. And he was super, super, Is super that true? Yeah, super a super. A leather jacket
0: with the Canadian flag yeah, on the back?
1: Yeah. It's 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 really opposites when you think about it. It's a badass jacket with the Canadian flag <laughs> that says, please, I don't want to offend you. I'm here to I'm here in your bar. I just pulled up on my motorcycle and I really don't want to yeah. offend anybody. Uh and then uh Sandler shows up yeah. when I'm there and spade and rock. And everyone's roaming around the halls. They're all kids. Um did you fit in with those
0: guys or were you I like did. the Harvard guy?
1: No, it was actually kind of nice. Cause I didn't feel like, uh, I didn't feel like I hung out with, I worked with Smigel, Odenkirk, Greg and I were like a unit. Tom Hanks used to call us the boiler room boys. Yeah. Cause we were just these guys that were always awake. We never went to sleep. We never changed our, we dressed like, we were still wearing the clothes that we wore in college. Um, which is not good by the way yeah. and uh and we would stay up and just write really weird stuff and uh, and roam the halls and we were
0: always available and so that was probably the best three or four year stretch for weird quirky couldn't be repeated SNL sketches and those were my favorite yeah cuz now li- they now they love to do the same one the 20 21st time that was like it was on one time that was it yeah, that was
1: my I, my favorite sketches to write were usually in the, uh, I would say twelve forty. Yeah, yeah. And you know it's so interesting. Later on, I get a late night show, and it's at twelve thirty five on NBC.
0: And That was your that wheelhouse was time. My
1: wheelhouse is people are sleepy, and I and and my favorite sketches that I ever worked on are you know, wait a minute, did I just see that or was I kind of half
0: asleep? That was weird. Seth and, Myers called those the 10 of one sketches. Yeah. Where uh, yep. I think the first Barry Gibbs show was like, they just threw it on at 1250. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like kind of when you throw those in.
1: And you kind of want, uh, that's where weird stuff can grow. If you yeah. think about it, it's, you can grow really weird mushrooms if the temperature is just right and there's not too much light. There's not too much light there's not too much heat. I mean, when the show used to begin, you have to have the big sketch and you look at the show now and it's what's their take on Trump this week and Mueller and what's their take on Kavanaugh and who's the big star they've flown in from LA to, and there's a lot of heat there. And it doesn't always, it's not always conducive to like the most fun comedy. You yeah. Know? And then if you uh, look at a little later on, there's less pressure. And you got a weird sketch and it's not really about anything, but it- I'm trying to think some of those- Like Jack Handy, for example, is one of my all-time favorite SNL writers. And he would, I mean, he wrote Toonsis the Cat, but he also wrote these, he'd have these great, all of us would, couldn't wait to hear his sketches read at Read Through because, you know, he'd he'd write, he'd have such great ideas like uh, James Bond getting captured by the villain who has a giant lair in the volcano, but the lair isn't finished yet. And he's like, Mr. Bond, I didn't think you'd be here for six months. You know, uh, sorry, Blofeld, but, uh, you know, and he's like, well, anyway, over there is gonna be a, it's going to be a shark tank where I would lower you into a shark tank. It's not there yet, but imagine, and it was, I get, I'm one of the workmen in the background on that sketch. Uh, yeah, you were in a couple ones. Yeah, they used to throw me out there. Jim, I, I made Jim Downey laugh and he, um, he used to throw me into stuff every now and then. And it was not, I wasn't, I didn't think I should be a Saturday Night Live cast member. That was not something that I aspired to be. I didn't think I was a Dana Carvey or a Mike Myers. I wasn't that. I knew what I wasn't. Yeah. But I knew I had, I could make people laugh, but it
0: was, had to be in my persona. Do you know what I mean? It couldn't. Did you latch onto a star? Cause sometimes the writers latch onto the one star and they write a lot of stuff or was it uh, more democratic back then? I don't think then? we did that.
1: I don't think I did that. Um, I mean, there's obviously people, um, you know, you'd obviously plug fill into everything. I don't think I latched on. I remembered I worked on a, a Sprockets once that worked out well with uh, with Mike Myers. I had an idea for one, and I went to him, and uh, so there were t- individual people that I would yeah, think, "Wait, yeah. I, th- I think I got something for you." I would say eighty percent of what I wrote was um, not cast dependent. You know, it was just a weird idea that I thought,
0: okay, um, it was you know, it wasn't like, oh, this this cast member has to do this. It was a really fun time, also, like because. It was all these kids that grew up watching the same shows in the 70s and 80s. So SNL would have like the Partridge family joke or the Brady Bunch joke or, or the whatever. the TJ Hooker like, joke. Yeah, it was like, whatever. oh, I got that. Oh, you know, now everything's so splintered. I think it would be harder to have. Here's a weird, yes, that's a, I mean, when you look at, that's actually the. Because I promise you and I watched 80% of the same shows. Yes. When we were probably like nine. And yes. I don't think nine-year-olds could say that now. No, you can't say that
1: now. They can. The one thing that's unifying the most young people now is probably video games. Meaning, yes. Fortnite. You know, Fortnite. If, if you're talking to a bunch of, uh, I have a 13 year old son, and and, uh, and he would, he would, if I if he and all of his friends were together, I think I could reference The Simpsons and Fortnite, and they would know what I'm talking about. After that, it's a crapshoot. And what's really interesting is if you think about the way we grew up, we did. There's certain reference points, Starsky and Hutch, or like you said, any of those shows from 70s, uh, 60s, 70s, we can reference that and everyone knows the reference. Today, you can be in a room with a bunch of people who are your demographic. They went, even some of them went to school with you. They're your friends. And you're talking about what's on TV today. You'll each list 15 different shows and there will be maybe one overlap between two of
0: you. You I know think what I mean? The Office has gotten to that point to some degree with the under 30 people. Yes. Well, now it's being rewatched. The Netflix. Yes. Netflix has done it with that and with Friends. And more and more with uh, Parks and Rec, too. Is Parks up. and Rec. Um, and I think The Good Place is starting to head that way, too. But it seems like they're all rewatching because those 22-minute comedies are so easy to just you bang out a season in like four hours, also, six hours.
1: I think what's really smart is Stuff Without a Laugh track. Um, Hmm. Stuff that's not shot before a studio audience. Something happened culturally, and I maybe be, might be reality television because, um, but people like things that have that documentary look and feel. Yep. And so when you look at a sitcom now where someone makes an entrance and there's applause or there's laughter, you know, and and then they leave, it immediately feels fake and hokey. And I think there's a whole generation that looks at that and thinks, what the fuck is this?
0: I felt like Shanling was the first one who kind of flipped that when he did his Showtime show. Yeah. And have the fake applause for everybody yeah. that walked in. And it yep. was the first time I was like, oh, he's making fun of. Yes. Cause you know, you watch those old Good Times episodes now or said like, they'll be on some random channel. And the audience was so involved in the show. Yeah, and you you
1: also watch things like uh, Happy Days from yeah, Happy Days 1978 one, yeah. or 1979. Fonzie makes an entrance. They're, they're, I mean, first of all, the it, Happy Days- Wild is, applause. Happy Days is interesting because the first season is single camera and actually kind of cool. And there's no studio wanting it to- It looks like can, American
0: Graffiti. Yeah, almost. and it's
1: actually very good. Then it switches, Happy Days switches to, I think in the second season, it switches to- um, it's shot before a live audience. People make an entrance and the crowd goes crazy and they have to wait. So Fonzie comes in and he's mad because he just found out someone stole his motorcycle and he comes in and he's mad. And everyone's like, woo! (laughs) And you see Henry Winkler having to wait for like five minutes and still pretend to be mad while he's acknowledging. And you're like, this is
0: weird. You look at it now and it feels fake. I remember that happened to Seinfeld with Kramer for like a season. Yeah where he every time he walked into Jerry's apartment, the crowd would applaud. And I think they told the crowd not to applaud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he would do the same thing. He'd be like, Jerry! And then yes, and he'd have to wait three seconds. And then everyone
1: has to just wait on their line. Yeah,
0: yes. I I think you're right, though, about the single camera. But that's why I think the it's office- It's like a reaction to it. Those,
1: those um, I think the a show like The Office is going to, it the reason it's so relevant to, I mean, my son and daughter- have watched every single episode of The Office, every single episode. Yeah. They, and and that's their sense of humor. But when you think about it, that show when it started on NBC was a very different look and feel to everything that had been a juggernaut for NBC before that, which is Friends and, you know, uh, you know, Frasier and, you know.
0: The one, the one set where most things happened. And I love the, the way, subset. I used to love the
1: way uh, people are forced to sit on
0: sitcoms. Like in, so, the lo- in the long line, that's not a circle. Yes. Yeah. And I
1: I used to love on Murphy Brown. Um, I, Murphy Brown <laughs> was never my show. I was, I mean, uh, it's just, it uh, was never my cup of tea necessarily. Uh, but uh, on Murphy Brown, they would set up that these are the most powerful people in show business and journalism, you know, Candace Bergen and her, that they're like 60 minutes and they're, they know Henry Kissinger and they also know Al Haig and they're, they, oh, she, she just had lunch with Nelson Mandela. And then it's time for them to have lunch. And they all crowd around one half of a small circular <laughs> table because <laughs> they have to, because it's a yeah. sitcom yeah. and you have to sit Doesn't matter, you know, no, Murphy Brown would be in her office or she'd be in like a nice cafeteria and that, no, everyone gets half a table and and cheat
0: out or we're not going to see you. There is the flip side of that. There's a Netflix movie that had Lucy Liu and somebody else in it that, you know, with these Netflix movies, like everyone's ends up seeing them, but it was about setting up Tay Diggs and Lucy Liu, these two people that work together. But Lucy Liu ran like a sports and pop culture website that isn't much different than The Ringer. Yeah. But had this just amazing office, like this yep. hundred million dollar office, and yep. and she had an assistant, and and I, I was like, Whoa, did they ever go visit anybody's office before no. they came up with this? Well, to but be I fair, like when they do that. To
1: be fair, you have pretty much the same setup. <laughs> I came in here, and it's just the amount of marble in your in your, in your yeah. entryway is absolutely stunning.
0: Lot of big lemonade vat. Yeah, yeah. Hey, let's take a quick break. If you need a device that helps you get stuff done, but is also perfect when you want to catch up on some fun, I don't know, like streaming live sports or checking in on your fantasy team, check out the latest member of the Microsoft Surface family. It's the new Surface Pro 6. Just take the keyboard off and use it like a tablet or snap it back on and use it like a laptop with up to 13 and a half hours of battery life and the new 8th gen Intel Core processor. It's everything you love about the Surface Pro now. Even more powerful. Check it out the new Surface Pro 6, the newest and latest member of the Microsoft Surface family. And since we're here, football season is heading toward the home stretch. If you have written off your fantasy team, I have some good news for you Daily Fantasy. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to be playing on FanDuel this season. You get the excitement of researching and building your team each week, regardless of the outcome. Okay. It's never been more fun or easy to play. You can play in the gridiron Pick'em contest, a free contest. All you have to do is pick winners, no spreads. 10K split amongst the top pickers, or you can play single entry, which is one of my favorites. I have a team this week that I almost want to give you the lineup because it's so gosh darn good, but I also want to win money and I don't want you to just copy my lineup. So I'm not telling you, but maybe I'll tell you on Monday. Trust me, I've ter- I've tried other DFS sites before. If you're not a fantasy expert, FanDuel, clearly the place to play. New users get a $5 bonus when they make the first deposit. Come play with me at fanDuel.com slash BS. Back to Conan O'Brien. Uh, Greg Daniels. Yeah. When did you guys when did you guys stop being partners?
1: We stopped. He wanted to, he was really interested in writing a different format. Um, I think I liked, and I've always liked the shorter format. I've always liked, uh, you know, sketches. I've always liked that short format and the most realistic show. I mean, the, 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 the only half hour show I could really imagine writing for was the Simpsons. Like that was my, which when you think about it is so many jokes and so many, uh, um, the same sort of energy, and then there's this three act structure, but it's very, uh, you know, as half hours go, it's it, it was the one that I could work on, but uh, Greg always was interested in that other form. So he left Serenade Live. He wanted to go out to L.A. and um, live there, and he was in a serious relationship with his now wife, and so. He wanted to leave and go to LA. And so she ruined her. things for you. She was the Yoko.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I never knew that.
1: Yeah. No, but uh, he, wa- he wanted to go out there. It actually worked out. When you think about it. I mean- I would uh, say it worked
0: out for both of us. It things. worked
1: out for both of us. And um, we're really good friends and uh, talk to each other all the time and uh, and hang out. And it's nice. It's actually, I think if we were- when you're working with someone, there's an intensity to it that I think I, I can relax now in better better with Greg, that we are not dependent on each other. Yeah. You know, in those early years this was really intense and we were friends, but I I Is actually, it intense because of the financial implications? Well, just we're both ambitious guys. When yeah. you ambitious and you think, are we gonna make it? Is this gonna work? I mean, there was um I was really I put a lot of pressure on myself, but uh, I was really worried about my career through most of the 80s and into the 90s. Always worried, like, am am I gonna make it? Is this really gonna work? Am I gonna be able to achieve this idea I have that's very vaguely formed in the back of my head of what I could do? And then once I hit the late night show in 93, that's just two years of sheer try to stay alive, um, you know? And, then, a, and it, then, you know, I don't think people really believe in this vision that that we collectively have. And I don't think, I don't know. I think I'm starting to relax now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm
0: 55
1: years old, so
0: yeah. Well, I think you, I watched it because I was there for Kimmel's first season mm-hmm. where you're on- you know, you don't know what the show is yet. You're basically just trying to survive day after day after day and hope you don't get canceled, but they also don't have anyone to replace you with. Yep. So at some point everybody just kinds of stares at each other and goes, all right, I guess. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Good luck. And then, but you, you're just getting reps. And then after I could see it with him after about nine months, I was like, Oh, starting, he's starting to get this now.
1: Yeah. But how long did it take for you? Uh I think about a week ago at Click <laughs> to be honest with you. Um I uh, think uh you know man I I I don't think there was any one moment I think there were I just started to notice that our audiences were getting better and better.
0: Like and that, livelier.
1: Livelier but also I noticed that uh people were coming to the show because they had seen it and liked it. Oh. You know, and that there were young people and they had made I've always had really creative fans and they they're very good artists and they they make they made jackets they for themselves that had stuff from our show on it. Yeah. They um they were coming and I remember that we started in September and I think by the summer I noticed, "Wait, these crowds are they're really getting hot and they, they know me now and they know my rhythm. And so I always thought the trick of these things, people always think that it's the host who figured out how to do the job. I think it's a two-way street. I think it's the host has to figure out how to be the best version of themselves, who they yeah. already are. But I think the audience then has to get used to their rhythm And I have a very particular kind of thing I think is funny and a very particular sort of rhythm that doesn't look right to people right away in 93, but then started to look, you know, I I think people started to get it. And that was always my, when I showed up at a big school, like I went to public schools in Brookline, Mass. I was never the funny guy right away. I would show up. I got a weird name. I got the weird hair. I'm this tall, skinny guy, which his deal. I'm kind of quiet and it took time. And that was always the case with me. And I thought it was the same thing with getting on television. I'm new, I'm gonna get picked on, you know. We've fallen Letterman too. Someone, some like, yeah, someone, yeah. some, yeah, exactly. I, as I've always said many times, I would not have liked me had I not been me because you know, I was mad at NBC about the Letterman thing. So then they get a complete unknown and who is this guy? So I understood
0: the hostility. I also knew this is my one chance. Was there hostility though? I can't even remember at this point. It was, oh
1: Jesus, yeah. Oh yeah. Because it felt
0: was, like there was also you had the Letterman versus Leno was starting at that point. No, that was I mean, you, that didn't that feel was like obviously, you were buried a little bit on no, the
1: side. No, there was there was a period of intense um uh I like, mean fuck I, don't this wanna, guy? I don't wanna go back uh yeah. Oh fuck this
0: guy. Oh yeah. I mean there was you know um, cause there were more people we less channels back then. So the amount of people probably watching at twelve thirty has to be three times as many as probably oh, yeah. watching now, right? No,
1: more people watched me in uh at, at twelve thirty in ninety three uh than watch the Super Bowl now. That's a true fact. I just, seriously? I, no, that's No, <laughs> I wouldn't believe I, that. <laughs> glad I had you there for a second. Uh, yeah, at the time I was watched by 65 million people a night. Um, <laughs> Jesus. But no, it was, it was, uh, no, that was back in the days where it'd be like, oh, you know, only 4 million people <laughs> watched us last night. It's just yeah. like, late night is uh, uh, melting ice flows. We'll all be standing on ice cubes soon. But um, the cool thing is, if you get through that,
0: you get through anything.
1: Yeah, and but there was, I mean, I there was a famous review in the Washington Post that more or less said, if I died, it would be a good thing. I remember that. Um, so- um, But that-, that, that uh, But then he later uh, changed his mind, and and which was very nice, actually. He didn't have to do that. He wrote- It was, he,
0: it was one of the great white 80s in the history of journalism. It was yeah, Tom Shales, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And it was really, he wrote this thing where he said, okay, I was wrong. I was really mad about Letterman. And uh, this is, uh, you know- and that was um
0: i think he was really mad about letterman like that like this is about your fault <laughs> well but i understood it and yeah. i understand it today and
1: i understand that um you know there's uh there was hostility obviously i felt it i'm very thin skinned and i really thought you know i just i walked around thinking everybody hates me for about a solid year and a half uh and then um
0: that started to slowly What improve. was the moment that that you started to realize other than that the audiences were changing? Um I just, you know, cuz you're so when you're doing that week after week you're just in it. Well
1: it's that's like the you're same. on like a hamster wheel. Yeah, that's the thing is that I think the thing that saves you in that situation is you have um you don't have time to get in your head. Yeah. It's uh, it's like, uh, you know, you're on a baseball team. You've got to play so many games. And so you can commit three errors in one game and be booed off the field, but you're back there the next day. Right, trying to go through You for just four. have to keep, you know, it's the repetition. It's the cockpit time over and over and over again. And then at a certain point, um, you, that, protects you in a way from, I didn't have time to read everything. I didn't have time to know that I think Playboy magazine that year that, you know, like in their list of like stuff for the year said, you know, you you know, worst decision ever, you know, hiring Conan to replace David Letterman, you know, like that idiot Conan, you know, that was actually in a magazine um, and I saw it and I thought, oh there's a centerfold in here somewhere. <laughs> Is there nudity in
0: this magazine yeah. too? Yeah, it was
1: the one issue with no nudity because uh, they, they wanted to focus more on
0: how I sucked. Um, but... Uh, I think the the one thing that was good for you, like in retrospect was, you know, and I think Letterman had this too. Letterman, when his show was on those first couple of years, he had this whole new generation of people that were coming up, right? Yeah. So his his staple guests were always Seinfeld and Leno and Michael yeah. Keaton and Tom Hanks. and. Right. Just tapping into this new generation. Yeah. And then you had a lot of the same thing because you had all the S&O people you worked with, but then you had this new generation of comics that were coming up and you kind of had your people after No, it's really, it
1: is really fun that we quickly just, you know, got these people. And I think- it's,
0: You and Arsenio, I think, yeah, both of you guys. Again, when you think Arsenio, <laughs> you think Conan. Uh,
1: we, um, no, we were really fortunate because you- you come up with your group and people that who, you, you share their style of comedy. And then you do all this. I, I was talking to Will Ferrell the other day and we were just, tr- I couldn't remember half the things he was bringing up. He was bringing up, you remember the time I came on your show and I, you know, I, uh, I had a gun and we kept it quiet for half the interview, but then I leaned forward and you could see that I had a gun <laughs> and then you and I had this whole thing worked out. And I was like, I don't remember. Oh, God. We did so much aggressively weird stuff. And it was just like-minded, you know? And then we became, I remember there were people who only wanted to come on the show if they could pretend that they needed dialysis halfway through, you know? And you'd be like, oh, can't I just <laughs> talk to you? <laughs> like there's some people I just wanted to talk to. Yeah. No, man. This would be I, better. I, yeah. I wanted, I've seen other people do this. And it was, sometimes it was people who were, maybe comedy wasn't their forte. But yeah. They had seen other people do it. They're like, no, you know. I want to pretend. I want to do a conceptual thing. Really, B. Arthur. Um, I don't think
0: you should do <laughs> B. <this>. Arthur. <laughs> I threw her under the bus. She's coming in right now, actually. Yeah, exactly. Her ghost. Well, I remember like what was it like? Oh three, oh four. It just seemed like you jumped the level with that show, and then it became like the. Where's he going? What's next for him? Yeah, and, yeah, well, yeah. All these networks yeah. are courting him and yeah, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. And it it seemed like it was fast, but it really wasn't fast because you had the show it's for funny. eleven it's years. Fast to other people. Yeah. You know, do you have kids? I do. I have okay. a thirteen and a ten. Okay, so we're
1: in the same boat. Yeah. Uh, I have a thirteen and a fifteen, but similar situation. Have you noticed when other people come to your house, they're like, Oh my God, your kids. Yeah, wow, you are huge. That's not how you feel because yeah. you see them every day. Yeah. So I'm always like, What are you talking about? They're the same. And they're like, No, they're not, man. This is Tommy Chong visiting me by the way. Uh, <laughs> hey man. Hey Dave. And so they they come by and they they're blown away but you're there. So I'm there for every second. So nothing felt I've had people say to me, "Wow, 25 years on the air." That must just seem like it just blew by. No, it fucking didn't. Yeah, cuz I was there for every second of it sweating it. So no. It feels like 75 years. <laughs> it's like 130 me. years. Yeah,
0: it feels like yeah, though You know, uh, and so- How's your life different if you go to Fox in 04? No. Are we sure a late night show could have worked on Fox?
1: uh, I was not, that was, you know, when I was, that was a big serious offer to go to Fox. And um, I thought about it really seriously. And I swear to God, the biggest reason I wanted to stay was it really haunted me the way Dave, yeah, left NBC, and I wanted to be connected to my work. I didn't want to be separated from my work. I was really oh, like f- your eleven years of library yes, stuff. And exactly, all that? I wanted to be connected, and I didn't want to leave NBC. Um and so i remember thinking I'll, I'll just stay you know i don't know how much was the tonight show part of that just like at that the, time, not. the lure of at it? that time i didn't i didn't think that was a possibility because that was not you know that was kind of floated as a possibility yeah. but i remember thinking i'm not sure but um i wasn't that interested uh, i mean, ultimately and i i don't regret actually i don't regret anything i don't i, I think i made the right call at the time which was Let's just stay here. And I ended up doing what, four, five, five more years of the yeah. late night show at NBC, which I loved. So, um, you know, I ultimately, you know, think that was uh, going to Fox like 10 years in. I don't didn't, know. Wouldn't have felt right to me. Didn't feel right then. It doesn't feel right now.
0: And I think there's a reason they really have never had a Monday through Friday 11 o'clock show. Right. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, I've obviously had a couple things too that people could say, would you do that over again? I always feel like it's part of the journey, you know? You, you, some things work out some ways, some things work out in other ways, you, call you your, happy now? You
1: call your addiction to heroin a that part of That part journey? I would do over again, but yeah. some of the other ones. That was a
0: huge mistake. Where does, where does the late night format go now?
1: What uh, happens You know, to it? first of all, I'll preface by saying I have opinions, but nobody knows anything. Yeah, yeah, no, I and, I'm and not I, saying you I don't want to be I don't want to pretend to be the oracle that knows, but I But uh, you're watching how
0: your kids consume media.
1: Yes. Well, I definitely for myself personally wanted to blow things up. Um I wanted to blow things up when I realized that I was killing time on the air. Yeah. That I was doing an hour a night after 25 years and hurrying hurrying it up with the first guest so I can get to the second guest so I can get to the you know musical group so I can or the third guest and I thought this is not um this is not what these shows should be anymore I yeah. don't, I really don't believe that I know how people consume my work now and the good news I mean there's there's good and bad with all of it. There's a lot that's changed, but um no late night show has the command of the field the way Dave did in, you know, his late night show period or in his uh uh early CBS show period or the way Johnny did. It's just not going to happen again. There's going to be fads and trends. They last about sometimes, you know, and uh, but there's so many of these shows that that's the the bad news if you're a late night host. The good news is that if you've got something good, a lot of people see it. Yeah. And um, they see it again and again and again. And so the good stuff is in a way almost more potent than it ever was. But I wanna make sure that the chasm between what I'm doing online and what I'm doing on the linear show isn't so wide. Cause it feels like there's the linear show and then there's the the stuff that happens online. I wanna see if I can pull them together closer
0: so that- Well, podcasts have to be a part of
1: that. Well, that's why, I mean, yeah. so right now the idea is, right now I'm, on, I'm doing, uh, we took a hiatus so I could do a tour. I'm doing a tour where I can go to cities. I just finished uh, doing a bunch of cities back East. I leave tomorrow and I do Atlanta and I do uh, Nashville. I love, Live audiences, love it. That That's one of my favorite things. And I love playing in, in these theaters and I'm touring with these really hilarious stand-ups. And I, I go out first, I do half an hour, then they each do about 15 minutes. Then I do Q and A at the end, which gets really wild and yeah. it's fun. I live for that. And then we have a digital team with me. They record a lot of that stuff. We chop
0: it up, we're putting it out there. And I'm hoping that this why can't that just be your late night show where you just travel to well, every city 250 times a year and you're just on the road? My wife would leave me pretty quickly. Uh, Other than no, that. No, actually my okay. wife might prefer it. Uh, <laughs> say, but, oh. I, but I
1: do think what I'm looking for, I'm lo- what I'm looking for is a, you know, the booking of, celebrities can some, can so often drive this tempo of these late night shows. And right. I still want to talk to celebrities and I still want to do that, but I want to make sure that I have maximum freedom. I'm just, I'm being a dick. I'm kind of saying, I want to do it exactly the way I want to do it because I've been doing it a really long time. So what I'd like to do now is exactly what I want to do. Yeah, And I don't want, I want to make no
0: concessions. Or it sounds like concessions. you just need to do a podcast and well, occasionally do tours. Uh, Hey, let's take a quick break to talk about G Suite. It's a suite of cloud-based productivity tools that includes a Gmail doc, slide, sheets, and drive. I use all of those things. Though These tools improve your work life, both in terms of your experience and the outputs you create. Hence, their new campaign, Make It with G Suite. You know when you have 20 identical versions of a document labeled final and no clue which is the latest, and you make another version, you name that one final final, right? Well... With G Suite by Google Cloud, a range of work apps like Gmail, Docs, and Slides let you make real-time updates to the same document without having to keep track of version after version of a product or a project or a product of a project. And since all the tools are cloud-based, your whole team can access the same document and work on the same page at the same time. To find out more about G Suite's productivity tools, visit gsuite.com. Make it with G Suite by Google Cloud. And since we're here, I wanted to mention our new Ringer Podcast Villains hosted by the one, the only, Shea Serrano. There's also heavy rumors after the uh, roaring success. I was on House of Carbs this week. I did food news and we talked a little bit about 3 a.m. meeting with Nephew Kyle. That might just be its own podcast. You think so? 3 a.m. meeting with Nephew Kyle. Could happen. Be a happen. short one. Be a short one. Huh? Be a short, just be I eat Chinese food, then I threw up. Uh check out, keep an eye out for that. 3 a.m. meeting with nephew Kyle, a podcast that has not been greenlit yet, but Villains with Shay Serrano has. Subscribe now on Apple, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back to Conan O'Brien.
1: Yeah, I'm doing a podcast. Conan O'Brien uh, needs a friend. That drops uh, the 19th, November. And- uh, you,
0: Yeah, I promise you, you're going to love it. Because- uh, I've been doing it. I you can know, tell from your show, like there were moments where- You'd be like, oh, this should just keep going, but it yeah. couldn't. And it's like, all right, let's start a commercial. And Then I can't, it's kind just, of the moment's over.
1: Yeah, and
0: uh,
1: what's I've done about, we banked a, a bunch and I've absolutely loved them. They're, it's a great, and also I have to say, I mean, coming in today and this isn't work. I mean, to me, this is, this is a really great conversation that I'm yeah. enjoying. It's nice to hang out with you and talk about this stuff. So it doesn't feel to me like oh boy you know had to go grind that
0: out um well part of it is knowing who would make for a good podcast though which you le- which i kind of learned the hard way over the course of 12 years but when you're on a bad podcast it's like a bad date
1: well the other thing have you noticed it when you don't know uh sometimes i've been on a podcast and there's no end point it just can go on forever. You know, a, yeah. even a bad date, there's a natural, well, they brought the check. And <laughs> so peck on the cheek and I'm gonna get my Uber and I'll see you later. But when a podcast, when someone wants to really go deep, we yeah. are going deep here with Conan and it's been, and you're like, wait a minute, I think it's been five hours. And they're like, now we're gonna do some improv.
0: You know, like, I'm seven looking- more.
1: You feel like you're in a burning building and you'd go out <laughs> through the window if you could. So- you know. What what about you and Greg Daniels working together Good. One well, more time? Yeah, well we did. We worked together on a show we really loved. Oh, like write a movie? Uh, movie? No, I've never I I don't think I could you write a movie. you never do that? Never wrote a movie. I never wrote a movie.
0: What was the show you worked on that you loved? Well, we
1: wor- we worked
0: uh on a show that was
1: on TBS. We initially um called People of Earth that we really liked and people liked it. Uh but then we had trouble keeping the cast. <laughs> The cast kept having other things they needed to do, uh, but it was a f- it was a show we did uh, together that um, we didn't create it. But but uh, Greg was the showrunner, and it was my production company. It was just fun working with each other again. Yeah, it was a
0: good time. I'm really jealous of the writing partner thing because I really feel like I, I just wish I had. You know, you need luck, right? Like, what if you don't meet Greg Daniels? Do you have a writing partner at that point?
1: No, I was. It not, has to be like the. I fit, was not right? someone who was going to have. I didn't even think about having a writing partner until I met Greg, uh, and we met late in school. We met. Uh, we didn't really get to know each other until senior year. You
0: fill in the blanks for each other a little bit. Yeah,
1: and 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 and, and it was interesting. We we did complement each other really well, and uh, but also when you're starting your career and you're 21 and you're leaving and you're going to LA and all you've ever known is Boston. You need somebody else. I mean, all I knew was Brookline, Boston. That's yeah. it for 21 years. And then you get on a cheap airline flight and you go to Los Angeles and you land here and you've got to make it in this weird business. Doing it with someone, a friend who's also yeah. an East Coast person who you
0: can share it with, that was huge. I mean, I- I, I wish I had met somebody like that. I've always, Koppelman and Levine, the guys who do billions, Yeah, those guys have been together for like 25 years, like a married right. couple, but they just work really well together. And I, I went and I watched them on the set and, yeah, you know, they're just on the same page. And I think right. it's pretty rare. I can also see how it would go badly it after four It could go years, badly, yeah. Especially if one person thinks, yeah. you know, the other or whatever. I, I hold even out, hope. I think you're going to meet a guy. I really do. I hope so, man. I this have. is why I keep talking about you it. I just want keep somebody that. out there, like, "Hey, Simmons, I wish I had a guy in my life." I didn't come- even think of the fact that you were Brooklyn and then Cambridge mm-hmm. and then you came to LA. That's yeah, dramatic. That was it.
1: I went from god zero to. I mean, because you're where are you from? I was initially
0: Chestnut Hill. Chestnut Hill. Yeah. I used to go to that mall, totally. you know, that big
1: mall in Chestnut of Hill? Of course.
0: That's, I used to that's steal where hockey I always cards thought I'd meet
1: my girlfriend when yeah. I was in high school and had bad skin. Yeah. And guess what? It didn't happen. Did
0: you ever go to the dump and look for Playboys behind the Chestnut Hill Mall? My
1: brother, Neil, used to go to the dump with his friend, John Little, and they would throw uh, old TVs off the top of a mound <laughs> and watch the picture tubes explode. That was my- <laughs>
0: it's and a lot of great stuff there. that There's so a lot, man, that dump. Yeah. Yeah, I th- my parents got divorced. I was there through seventh grade, and then my dad stayed, but I moved with my mom to Connecticut. So I was in basically back and forth the next four years Stanford. Okay. Yep. And uh, so I was like, I still felt like I lived in Boston, but I was really not there nearly as much as I wanted to be. Here. And plus the sports was like- Well, then it gets
1: really screwed up because you're amongst- In Connecticut, it's weird because- Oh, you're like, you you're don't not know. in New York- You don't know, like I've seen stores. I'll go into a store in Connecticut, like in sort of the Litchfield area. Yeah. And it's selling Yankee hats, Yankee caps. But then you drive two more miles and you're in a store and they're only selling Red Sox hats. bizarre. And you think, this is weird. This is like living in Maryland during the Civil War. (laughs) I don't know, (laughs) are
0: you for the North or for the South? Do you know what I mean? I have no idea. It's very strange. And then Boston, as you know, is- It's so kind of distinct. And then Connecticut is not distinct. So I was just there.
1: I was just in Boston and the intensity of- Did you go for the
0: baseball or something else? Well,
1: I was there, I did the tour. I was doing uh, two shows at the Wilbur Theater. And then I Mm. went and I hung out with my folks. But I was noticing everyone in Boston wears a Red Sox cap. And it's It's so- But what's so funny to me is they wear it like, you know, I root for the Red Sox. You're like, you don't need to <laughs> tell it. We know. Do you know what I mean? We're on Newbury Street. Yeah. And, and your name is Sully. I get it. You don't need the Red Sox hat, but all my brothers wear Red Sox caps all the time. And it's like, they should just put
0: them on squirrels in Boston. It's like know? being in a gang. Yeah. It's, it's like good. our gang. But I so, went back for the two World Series games and it's just, it was the best of Boston. It was just yeah, people showing up super early. Everyone's got, Drinks and right. I was sitting near the uh between the third base and left field. we were right on the wow and the you know they have the outfield umpires sure, yeah, for yeah. the World Series. Yeah. So poor guys like ten feet away, and you know the Boston people, they yeah. they got to start talking to him. he's like hey, blue, you know, yeah, just yeah, yeah. for nine innings. The poor guys like God damn it, I. That's
1: what he hears. Straw. That's what he hears in his sleep. Uh, <laughs> I so I could only go to one World Series game. Yeah. Cause I was, uh, I've been working so much, but there was one game and traveling and there was one game I could go to.
0: Not the 18 inning game.
1: No, there was one game I could go to and I knew there was one game that I had that Turner gave me tickets for. Oh. Game five. Oh. So in LA, and I didn't know, is there going to be a game five? What's going to happen? Turns out game five. So I take my son and we go there and we're both wearing Red Sox hats and jackets. I've got this great, jacket I got a long time ago. That's like a vintage Ted Williams era. Ooh. And I have a Ted Williams story after this, I want to tell you, but like a Ted Williams era baseball, the baseball, ja- a recreation of that jacket. Yeah. So I'm watching the game with my son and then we get to the last two innings and it becomes clear that the Dodgers are going to lose and we're in Dodger Stadium.
0: I was in there too. Yeah. The Red Sox
1: fans started moving up. I was one of them. Yeah, We had really good seats and then we were like, Screw it. Yeah, I said, come with me, boy. This is how it's done. Because all the other fans (laughs) left. Yeah. And everyone, they were like, uh, Conan. Red Sox fans let me take, it and it was near uh, back behind home plate, just like for the last inning. But this is the difference between LA and Boston. There's a lot of differences, but I'm there. And Dodgers fans start to realize it's not gonna happen for them. So they stand up. These are people with like their faces painted blue. Yeah and they have Dodgers shirt, everything. The hat, everything. They stand up, they turn, they saw me and recognize me and they saw my Red Sox stuff and they'd say, <clears throat> well, Conan, it's not gonna work out for us this year, but you guys had the better team. Congratulations. <laughs> and then they shook my hand. And then uh, they'd be like, better luck next year. You know, I mean, uh, well, we'll see about next year. Then they, and then the next person would go up. Well, Conan, Dodgers <laughs> fan all my life, you know. I <laughs> uh, lost my wife this year to cancer and her <laughs> dying wish was that did win the series, but <laughs> it didn't happen. Oh, well, Boston's the better team. Good, good day to you, sir. And I, and I remember thinking if if this rule was reversed- It wouldn't go as well. And I was at Fenway. Yeah. And the Dodgers were about to clinch at Fenway. Yeah. I, and if and Boston fans saw a Dodgers fan, he'd pull his heart out through his chest and eat it in front of his child. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was just this funny. It I couldn't been relate of, to it.
0: You think you're better than me now? You think you're better than me?
1: I'll fucking throw a battery up your ass. <laughs> well, that didn't work out for us. You clearly had the better team. I really admire Cora and that Mookie is incredible. Well, better. we'll see what happens next year. Good day to you, Conan. I just, it's like, what kind, of, what kind of sports fans are you? I see the perspective. I have perspective.
0: Life is long. Wow. Dodger fans. So they're, 30, they're on 30 years now. Yeah. The Boston fans, this is like the, the. it's this run that has nothing in common with how any of us grew up. Yep. No, no, no. I. It's just a lot of winning and it doesn't make sense and it feels just surreal and I don't know how to react to it. And also uh,
1: the old Red Sox teams were, they were so haunted by their curse, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It was in their heads these new teams, since 04, they don't, they think they have as much right to win as anybody. Yeah. Which is a completely different mindset. Yeah. And, you know, this team, even, you know, uh, even when they lose an 18 inning game, you thought like, oh, that's gonna, that's gonna take the bone marrow out of them. That's, they're gonna have a hard time bouncing back from this. They're like, oh
0: no, 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 we're still gonna win. We, yeah, they had like a team meeting after the 18 inning game and they were like, all right, we all good? Let's do it. We'll get him back tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, that's just wrong. If that had happened in our childhood, it would have, they probably would have had to shut down the city for
1: like a week. Yeah. I had, I wanted, there's one story, I was driving over here today. I was like, I got to tell you this story, which is, I have one picture. That's not true. I have a couple of pictures on my wall in my study from my late night show. Yeah. I've got, you know, okay, me with Obama, that's a picture. Um, I've got, me with Dave. I think you in, and Melania. I think in 94. Uh, yeah, me and Melania Trump, <laughs> the nine times she's been on. Um, uh, and then uh, I have me with Ted Williams. Ted Williams came on. The splinter. He came on my show and it reminds me of this time, senior year in college, it's spring and I decide, you know, I was a good kid, but I decided, screw it, I'm getting out of here. I'm gonna play hooky with some friends of mine who had already graduated. And one of them's Jeff Martin, who was working as a sports writer in Boston and went on to, he's a great comedy writer. Um, he and a couple of his friends were gonna go down to Florida to watch the Red Sox uh, spring training. And I'm at school and He said, come on, just, it was like Ferris Bueller, like just skip, just skip and fly down. So I did, I'd never done anything like that before, but I just left school. I blew off classes. I blew off everything. I flew down and we had a blast. We drove around in one car. We only ate fast food. We played mini golf and we- That sounds like Florida. Yeah, and we watched uh, the Red Sox. So we're there watching the Red Sox at their spring training camp and I look over and there was a young prospect named Sam Horn at the time. Yeah. Who could hit the ball like a mile when he could hit it. I don't think it ever panned out for him, but Sam Horn was just amazing. And he was talking to someone and looked like he was getting batting tips. And I'm looking, I'm like, who's he talking to? And I realize it's Ted Williams. Ted Williams was there and he was the hitting coach and he's talking to Sam Horn. And this is 1985, April of 85. So I'm like, I wanna hear what he's saying to Sam Horn. That's Ted Williams. I gotta find out what he's telling. Greatest hitter of all time, what's he telling Sam Horn? So I make my way, there's this long chain link fence and I try to sneak all the way around the chain link fence so I can, and then I get right up and I'm as close to Ted Williams as I am to you. And he's talking to Sam Horn and it looks like an intense conversation and I eavesdrop. And Ted Williams, He's bitching to Sam Horn because he had to take his grandchild the night before to see the movie, The Last Starfighter. And <laughs> Ted Williams was like, here I am thinking I'm gonna get this profound, right. oh, we swing under the ball and up at, you know, and, and up to the right and then, you know, whatever. And he's like, God damn it, they're out in space. <laughs> And there's goddamn aliens and then they're on earth and I didn't know what the goddamn fucking thing was all about. And I couldn't believe it. And then I thought to myself, I would love it if Ted Williams, cranky, legendary old Ted Williams reviewed, reviewed movies. movies. I would just, you know, like, you know, all right, today's movie, Ted, is uh, whatever. We're gonna-, we're gonna look When Benjamin, Harry Met Sally. Yeah, we're gonna look at Harry Met Sally. Well,
0: goddamn. Damn
1: it. <laughs> I tried to watch this and she's what she's doing in that restaurant is vulgar and god damn it. Why the <laughs> <laughs> all right? Well, join us next week. Unbelievable when we, when we like talk about like water for chocolate. Oh, god damn it.
0: <laughs> Foreign <laughs> film. God damn. Poor Sam Horan probably thought he was getting a tip. Yeah, he said he didn't get to hear about the I mean, last day. He just Friday. heard. <laughs> That's amazing. I thought when you started telling that story, I thought you were going to tell the story that you were there. Sam Horn hit this legendary spring training home run, and I was at the game, but we left the inning before because my buddy Gus had to go. And then we found out he hit this home run in the football stadium. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm still mad about it like 31 years later. So I'm when glad I was it wasn't there. That story. He
1: did smash a windshield on a car in the parking lot. Mm. Uh, I did see that. I didn't, um, but yeah. I guess, I guess his thing was when he did hit it, it went a long, It was it like the natural;
0: way. it just wouldn't stop, and lights would explode. Did um, you ever get used to L.A. Other uh, than the fact that the Dodger fans congratulate you when you win the World you Series? You know, I'm not
1: built genetically to live out here. Uh, it's you know, I am really genetically engineered to live like in a peat bog in Northern Ireland. So <laughs> I, what I'm never gonna be used to, and I don't mean it, when I say in a peat bog, I mean literally yeah. in the mud, covered in moist turf. That's where I should be. I don't, I'm not supposed to be here. What I do like, um, because I lived for years and years and years between Saturday Night Live and the Late Night Show, I did 20 years in Manhattan. It. I love Manhattan, but it never felt like home. Because when you grow up in Boston, it's, I was scared in New York when I was a kid. Yeah. And I was told, all my friends said, if you go to like at the height of the, in the seventies, the height of that great rivalry and Carlton Fisk and Thurman Munson, I was told that if you wore a Red Sox cap at Yankee Stadium, you'd be killed. Yeah, they'd stab you to death. They would stab you to death and that the police wouldn't do anything. And I believed it because that's how intense it was. I really believed that.
0: I don't know if that was necessarily untrue advice either.
1: Right. I think they would- make some effort to solve the crime, <laughs> but eventually, yeah. They'd make, a, they'd make a show of trying to solve the crime, but um, that'd be a good cold case show where you just solve Boston fans that were murdered at Yankee Stadium, and it's so clear who did it, but they're like, well, I guess we'll <laughs> never know. No, 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 it's really clear.
0: <laughs> That's the guy covered in blood right yeah, there. Yeah, that guy
1: over there in the Yankees hat who's covered in blood. <laughs> well, another case that will go unsolved. But yeah, that was, uh, I was, I love. I loved Boston. I mean, uh, I loved New York and I loved living there, but it never felt like, well, this will be my home because I thought eventually they'll find out I'm a
0: Sox fan and murder me. I, I went a step further. I just, I could never have lived there yeah. at any point. I just, see, being around the Yankee hats, I feel the same way when I go to a Laker game and I'm around all the jerseys. Like I actually feel like uncomfortable. It's unsettling
1: I, I was, to be in that mix. My son- was in a league. Um, we came out here, and he was in a league where uh, you know playing with these other kids, and they just—it was kind of random. What, which, and the and the and you know the teams were, you know, the Pistons. The, oh the, yeah, yeah. You know the 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 Lakers, the Celtics, the Knicks, and it just random. And my my son was like seven and. He was in this league, and I would go to his games, and the team that he was assigned to was based on like literally where you lived, the luck of the draw. we were the Lakers. Uh, so I would go and my son was you know seven years old and wearing a Lakers jersey, and he'd get on the court with his other friends and i I kind of learned like at first it was jarring, and I'd have to take a picture of him and send it send it home and my brothers would give me shit about it. Photoshopped like, yeah, the jersey, yeah. Yeah, exactly, I should have Photoshopped it. But, um, but I got over it and I just enjoyed watching my son, you know, kind of try to play basketball at seven years old or whatever. And then one day, uh, Mark Wahlberg oh, shows no. up because his son's in the same league and he's talking to me and he's like, what the fuck are you doing, man? <laughs> He's really mad. And I was like, well, you know, this is where his, his friends are on this team. He's like, oh fuck, my son? No, we like, he like, we, we moved to where my son would be on the bus. <laughs> he just would not. I forget what he did. He did some extraordinary thing. He didn't literally move, but he took extraordinary measures. He just
0: pulled some Mark Wahlberg shit. He
1: pulled some Mark Wahlberg shit to make sure that his son was wearing a Celtics uniform and he could not believe that I was letting my
0: son wear a Lakers uniform. This was the original plot for Mile Twenty Two. Yes. Then they they flipped it. They flipped it. Yeah. Yeah. My son was a junior Laker one year, and I didn't feel good about it. But he was six. Like at that no, point, No, I didn't feel good about just happy they're it. They're not but still pooping on themselves at age yes, six. Yes, so exactly. The they, half of
1: them they get the ball and they just sit on it. Yeah. And uh, they think it's something to rest on. And I, but I realized like the level of, okay, this is the difference between us. Yeah. I will accept. My son wants to be on a team with his friends. He can wear a Lakers uniform. You um, probably contacted the commissioner of the local league. I think you probably threatened him with some of you and your friends came, from Somerville came by and threatened him yeah. with the leg
0: of a chair, and, <laughs> and now he's wearing a Celtics uniform. I think I think uh, Mark Wahlberg he wakes up at two thirty. Yeah, she his prayers. He, he de- does his workout routine, he has eggs, and then he just threatens the commissioner or whatever league Yeah, whatever league. Until he's yeah. On the That's right what's hand. in there. It's in the itinerary. I'm always jealous of those people that get up. Like Bob Iger, they always said he got up at four. That's stupid. Gets up at four and does the treadmill. It's, it's, I don't know. How, how do you do that? I love it's, sleeping.
1: Yeah, it's also a mistake. It's going to be, uh, let's just see how long they live. You know? <laughs> I swear to God, they're all, it- Sleep is more important. I swear to God. Sleep is more. And when people tell me that they, I get three hours of sleep and then I get up and I have a whey protein shake and I run 65 miles and then I pour lava up my ass, I just think, okay, enjoy that. (laughs) Our our, our time here on this earth is very short Mm. and you're
0: fucking it up. Might be shorter than you think. Exactly. Conan. Yes, this was a pleasure. It's not. This is. I great. didn't want to keep you for seven hours. This is right around the hey time man, I usually go around eighty eighty minutes. This is. You uh, can always come
1: back. You should just. You know, just. I go eighty minutes. <laughs> I'm excited. Here, that, that should be. It should be your line in a bar. I, I go. I just strong went, eighty minutes. I just did. Eight, I went eighty minutes strong. With who? Conan O'Brien. Okay, well, eighty straight—that's your, <laughs> your thing, yeah.
0: No, this uh i am excited I've, to listen to your podcast. Thank you, and
1: you know what? Uh, congrats on this one. Uh I, I swear to God, they—they—they they, they told me, they said uh, there's literally like two podcasts you should do if you want to get the word out on your podcast, oh, and you're nice. one of them. And I was happy because uh, I've listened to yours, and I was like, oh yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk to him, and we can.
0: Well, while we're passing around compliments, he, I would be remiss if I said our. The people here, you had a big impact on a lot of them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, especially the, uh, you know, the show, the NBC show from the early days. Yeah, yeah. Pre-internet. Yeah. Once the internet came in, it kind of screwed things up in a lot of different ways. Sure. But that sweet spot of like eighty-nine to no, ninety-six sweet time, yeah. The stuff that was impactful really was really no, impactful. No, it's not. It's it's a nice. I'm very. And then it just kept going. I'm very grateful. I'm yeah. like,
1: my it's word a cool time. My word is, I'm glad. Grat- and I say this to, I say this all the time to people that got in on the, around the time I did. I'm like, wow, we just, I, the fact that I got to make comedy with so many amazing people, yeah. just dumb luck, you know? And just, I'm really blessed. It's a nice thing.
0: What's Smigel's next act?
1: Uh, he is, he's is unstoppable. He's an unstoppable force. He's, on, one of, he's
0: one of my favorite email people.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's, he's some good, he'll
0: send me just these random, crazy NBA emails or. He is, you know, Robert, his next, you know, first of all, he's
1: he just contacted me. I've been touring, so we're not doing shows right now. We're going back in January. And he said, uh, he's like, oh, I have a good idea for Triumph, but you guys aren't on the air. And I was like, well, you know, see if like someone else wants to do it, you know, just. And so he, he went and did it. Uh, yeah, he did it last for, week. He did yeah. it for Colbert uh, and it was really funny. And I was thinking, yeah, Robert is the most prolific comedy writer I've ever known. And I've known them all. No, he has, he's an endless fountain of ideas. He'll have five ideas at one time. Yeah, And so his burden is just figuring out usually which idea to follow. That is not most people in comedy's problem most people are trying to come up with one good idea. He's usually got like, yeah, I've got, I've got these nine ideas. And he'll write me these really long emails describing each one in detail. And I'm like, I like the first, yeah. do that one. Yeah, but listen to the second. <laughs> I like that one too, do one of those two. Here's the third. I would do one of
0: those three. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there's eight more. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, well, oh, this is a good last question. What sketch at SNL were you the most jealous of that somebody else came up with?
1: Wow, that's a really good one. Uh, Man, man, it would probably be a Jack Handy sketch just because his mind was so different. Yeah. And I'd think, how did you think of that? And... I don't know that it's one sketch that Jack Kennedy wrote because he wrote so many, but he would just think of an idea like Johnny Acid, which was, uh, <laughs> you know, he was sort of making fun of in the 50s and 60s on TV, cowboys had special skills. There was the rifle man who was really good with a rifle, you know, and then there's a guy who was really good with a whip. and Then yeah. there was a guy who was really good with a knife. and Then there was a guy who was really, and so he came up with Johnny Acid. And he carried vials of acid and he'd throw acid at people. And it just bummed everyone. Everyone in the saloon would be like, someone would be like, you better be moving on. I think you should be moving on. And Johnny acid would throw acid at him. And the guy would scream as his face burned and everyone there would be like, not cool, man. That was bad. Bummed everyone out. And there was a song about Johnny acid. And I thought, shit, I wish I had thought of that.
0: So probably Jack Handy. That was, there was a lot of songs with the sketches back then. Yeah. Like the little like quick snappy. We, I remember we just thought with. we had
1: to. We wrote a yeah. sketch for Tom Hanks called Mr. Short-Term Memory. Oh yeah. And I remembered Robert saying, well, we need a song for it. And so we wrote, you know, I think it was Mr. Short-Term Memory. He shouldn't have sat under that pear tree. <laughs> right. Now he has no memory. He'll <laughs> never know, but he'll lo- you'll love him so because he's Mr. Short-Term Memory, you know. Why?
0: Why did everything need a song? But we just powers like that too. It's time for yes. androgyny. Yeah. 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 There was like this five years where there there was, but it was always good. There was a lot of game Not show game good. show sketches too. <laughs> <laughs> Look again. <laughs>
1: That's the wonderful Look thing back about under that hood. The wonderful thing about being a fan of something is that your mind does its own editing.
0: What do people mention more to you, Simpsons or Saturday Night? Live? Must be Simpsons, right?
1: It's Simpsons. Yeah. Yeah. Simpsons is just when I tour there's a religion and it's worldwide and they know the episodes. That's why I didn't even
0: want to bring it up. And too. they know,
1: and they know stuff that I don't know because guess what? I stopped writing
0: there 25 years ago. And you were only there for like two, three years. Right? I was there.
1: Yeah. A little over two seasons. And again, I was there at a nice sweet time. And it was, was like really- the first
0: famous season. Yeah. That you were there.
1: And I loved it, but. I don't, people will ask me trivia and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm rediscovering the Simpsons through my son. My son loves the Simpsons and he's watching all of them and I'm watching them with them. That's our thing. They don't get to watch. Did too- you get
0: to do the whole, uh. I wrote on this one. So. You know
1: what? Kind of cool. It's the first time I've seen him show a glimmer of respect like if, for the old be man. impressed That all by we you. watched one of my episodes. I think it was Homer Goes to College, and he's it said it came up written by Conan O'Brien, and he happened to see that, and he just like looked over at me. I was like, "Yep, the old man." I could just see a little
0: moment of him thinking,
1: "My dad might have been worth something once," you know. <laughs> Then it was a, like a minute later. He didn't care about me
0: again. My son was impressed when we were in Orlando in August, and Triple H came up to me with the big handshake. Oh, okay. And he was like, "Oh!" Like, I was like, "All right, that's the only time I guess I'm gonna impress and then you." Later you on, find out you yeah. paid Triple H. Yeah, I did I? did. It wasn't even Triple H. It was, it was a after. guy
1: who. It was three people who wear a costume and play Triple H at parties. <laughs> uh, good luck with everything. Thanks, hey, thanks for coming so much. On. Hey, I'll come back. Yeah, I'll shake your hand. Even though no one's seeing yeah, it, see we that. just shook hands. Thank you. That was awesome. All right, take care.
0: All right, thanks so much to Conan. Thanks to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. That is one of my favorite URLs. They are presenting sponsor. If you want to learn more about them, go to that URL. Thanks to FanDuel, where I'm going to win money this weekend. It's happening. I have the best FanDuel single entry lineup super flex lineup that I've ever put out. I'll read it to you on Sunday night when I do the pod with Sal. You'll be amazed that I didn't win. You can win. They have tons of ways to play. Gridiron Pick'em Contest, pick winners, no spreads, 10K split amongst the top pickers, or just play Daily Fantasy. Do whatever you want. I've tried other DFS sites. If you're not a fantasy expert, FanDuel is clearly the place to play. New users get a $5 bonus when they make the first deposit. Come play with me at fanduel.com slash BS. And by the way, if you want to buy some Ringer merch for the holidays, go to theringer.com shop. T-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, stickers, you name it. It's all there. T-shirts of some of your favorite shows on the Ringer Podcast Network. T-shirts of this show. I need that Pearl Jam one. Yeah. It's a good one. There's the new Pearl Jam one, right? It's it Buck first Pearl Jam you Looked can like buy that. Like a big that. foam finger, yeah. Yeah, one. Kyle likes that one. Kyle, I'm going to get that one Christmas. for you for Christmas. That's easy, easy. Check it off yeah. the list. All right. Uh, enjoy the weekend. We are back Sunday night. I will be coming right from the Survivor Series with my lunatic son. Uh, the odds of us coming up with a parent corner during that Survivor Series is off the board in Vegas. Until then, enjoy the weekend.